Welcome back, everyone. I am Cass Piancy, and I'm joined as usual by my partner in crime, Mr. Bennett Tomlin. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Cass? Certainly doing better than our topic of choice, uh, Silvergate Bank, which uh, announced its intent to wind down operations and, quote, voluntarily liquidate Silvergate Bank today. Um, so this is this is pretty big news. We've talked about Silvergate before. We've talked about banking and cryptocurrency before, but this seems to be a moment. And that's you. You weren't sure we should cover this at all, but I, I said I think this is a moment, and we should probably talk about it. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about what what the news was today? What what the assen- essentially what happened? Crypto did an actual bank run on an actual bank. Like in the real banking system, not a fake bank like FTX, which isn't supposed to be runnable. Like an actual bank had an actual real life bank run happen because of crypto and in part because of regulatory intervention. But well, and I think it's worth pointing out that essentially what happened was they put a bunch of their assets into higher yields for longer terms and weren't able to access them, basically. Like they, yeah, they've they couldn't. They couldn't actually deal with the withdrawals. Um, and here was their statement today, just for anyone who hasn't heard this. Um, the holding company for Silvergate Bank today announced its intent to wind down operations and voluntarily voluntarily liquidate the bank in an orderly manner and in accordance with applicable regulatory processes. In light of recent industry and regulatory developments, Silvergate believes that an orderly wind-down of bank operations and a voluntary liquidation of the bank is the best path forward. The bank's wind-down and liquidation plan includes full repayment of all deposits. The company is also considering how best to resolve claims and preserve the residual value of its assets, including its proprietary technology and tax assets. Um, And then they get into some details, but... Uh, yeah, I think a couple days ago they announced the end end of their little program called the Silvergate Exchange Network, which was an intra-bank transfer thing for cryptocurrency depositors. Um, and then yesterday there was rumor that maybe some cryptocurrency companies might swoop in to come help them, right, or individuals, similar to like how Brendan Bloomer of EOS already purchased 9% of the bank. Um and then today, yeah, they announced it was all over. Um, all eyes on Signature, though, now, it seems like, right? Yeah, though my understanding is Signature has a meaningfully stronger balance sheet than Silvergate does, and they had more lines of business outside of just servicing cryptocurrency companies, and so they're in a much better position. But it is really interesting, I think, to just kind of see the culmination of what we talked about in episode 106. One, just like the natural effect on these banks from the collapse of FTX and Alameda with these huge amounts of deposits being effectively removed from the system, and then the less natural Nick Carter calling it what Operation Chokehold 2.0 The Fed, the OCC, and the FDIC issued a statement on January 3rd that we talked about back in episode 106 when we were talking about these crypto banks. And all the banking regulators basically came together to say cryptocurrency has these unusual risks. You can have these deposits pulled out really quickly in a way we think affects the safety and soundness of these banks and that this is not consistent with banking practices that are trying to achieve safety and soundness. And so we're seeing kind of 
both of those effects here in Silvergate. One, just the natural effect of losing that money when the FTX and Alameda collapsed. And two, how the further constraining of liquidity and like their inability to recruit new cryptocurrency deposits because of some of these new regulatory limitations left them in the midst of a bank run. Yeah, and I think there's so there's been some questions online about like what happens now, right? Like we're talking about a liquidation process. We're talking about a bank no longer being a bank. Um, I I think some of the questions swirling around regard like the micro strategy loan. Um, I think there's questions about uh, the ability. Right? That's that's what I'm They're guessing all as be, well. Everything's being sold, right? And it doesn't matter what kind of price it gets sold at because ultimately the loan will be passed on to someone who will effectively keep getting payments from MicroStrategy. I, I, well, it's just it's, not... It's still meaningfully over-collateralized. It's not under-collateralized loan. So I imagine like that loan specifically will probably sell close to par, you know? Ag agreed. Um, agreed. I don't think there's much concern about that. Also, um, I, I think... Uh, Protos has done an article about this, but there are different levels to what occurs with these banks. Like you first you get a warning and then you get a cease and desist and then you get there's like all these different levels to what can happen to you. And it seems like voluntary liquidation is actually a level that regulators push on to banks. Like it's like, hey, time for you to liquidate. Like it's over. It's game over. Either do it yourself or we're going to do it for you. And well, I think and, uh, and broadly, that's kind of what we saw. The reporting yesterday was that Silvergate was in talks with the FDIC. Right. And so and we know what was it like a week ago, they paid back all their uh, FHLB loans. And so, like, clearly they've been looking at restructuring and trying to figure out if there is a viable path forward for Silvergate, the bank. Um, and there wasn't. And so, like, the best thing they can do and what the FDIC is going to push for in these cases is doing everything they can to make depositors whole and then bye-bye Silvergate. Uh, and you brought up if, uh, the federal home loan banks just now. Uh, we talked about them for a long time uh, in the last episode, but uh, in episode 106. But <laughs> um, I do want to just quickly bring this full circle in that I think um, you mentioned to me right before we went on air uh, it, that Silvergate was established, I think it was in 1986, is it? 1986, uh, Silvergate is established, 83, 86, something like that, uh, quit right before the savings and loans crisis in America. Uh, and they were a savings and loans. Uh, they weren't like a traditional bank. They were a savings and loans bank. And they uh, those relied heavily on the federal home loan bank uh, structure, the system there. So, like, they started out needing FHLB help. They ended essentially getting FHLB help and then having that all rug pulled from them, having to pay that back all at once and that helping to ensure the collapse of their bank, I think. Yeah, and that is something we talked about briefly in episode 106 when we were talking about the federal home loan bank system is because of the way their structure exists, because they get like such a high position in the stack. They're ahead of the FDIC and stuff in this. So they'll just gut these banks to get their money back out. And so that kind of seems to be what happened here. Like they really, like you said, kind of accelerated the end of Silvergate because they have such a high ranking in terms of their like primacy in the uh, creditor stack. 
Yeah, it seems as soon as, as soon as there were questions about the viability of Silvergate, they said, okay, give us our loans back. I don't care how long they were for. Those advances are no more. Um, so that that is fascinating to see to, to see that play a role, essentially. It seems, maybe not, but it seems like it played a role in the collapse of Silvergate. Um, we talked about Signature. I think there's other... There's other movements happening um, with other banks, and it isn't all. For instance, I don't think all of this cash is getting moved directly to Signature, um, so I don't think this is fully played out yet. And I think it's going to be a fascinating process here as as um, these banks play hot potato with these billions of deposits. Yeah, no. Um, well, I think really the more fundamental thing and we talked about this back in episode one hundred six two is. There's a lot fewer options for cryptocurrency companies like Kraken has basically started moving some of their customers off of Signature already and Signature has made clear they're leaving the digital asset field. Um, Coinbase pointed to was it customers or was it a different bank? Um, I thought JP Morgan is still banking Coinbase, right? Isn't that maybe rumor? they are? But, like, basically every other exchange can't even necessarily point to who their banking partner is as of next week, you know. And so because of that, we're starting to see some of those same constraints we saw in the cryptocurrency ecosystem back in, like, 2017 and 2018. And you can feel some of the people starting to get desperate. It's This is, this is what brought us into this realm. So I think it's fascinating. It, we are set, certainly coming full circle here where, like, the reason we started getting into this is because of the trouble, the banking troubles, we'll call them, uh, for Bitfinex and Tether. Like, that's what drew us into cryptocurrency fraud, we'll say, cryptocurrency... Um, malfeasance. Malfeasance, yeah. So so what drew us into the darker aspects of it, even then the, the surface level, like, oh, it's for drugs or whatever, like... Going past that, going to corporate stuff and and all of this other uh, these weird intricacies. So so we're we're getting there again. It feels like it, it feels like we're getting back to that exact spot where oh my god, everyone's having trouble finding banking. And the reason we're saying this is not simply because of the death of Silvergate, uh, R.I.P., but also because there's now rumor. And I'm going to say rumor, even though I think Ian Allison is one of the best journalists in the cryptocurrency industry, period. And that's who reported this. Uh, but the reporting was that Gemini has lost banking uh, from JP Morgan. Uh, Gemini then refuted this publicly and said that they had not lost banking with JP Morgan. Um, but then Reuters, right after that, reported that yes, they indeed will be losing their banking from JP Morgan. So it sounds like they haven't lost banking with JP Morgan yet. And that's how we'll leave it. Yeah. And like, I made an allusion previously to Nick Carter calling this Operation Choke point 2.0. And it is kind of like that. And I think the other thing it's kind of like is some of the restriction we saw in banking access for poker companies pre-Black Friday, right? Black Friday was the culmination where we finally saw the indictments. But well before that, we started seeing increasing restrictions on the banking system and the ability for these gambling sites and these like poker sites to access the banking system because effectively the regulators had started communicating to these banks that, hey, we're very suspicious of you if you're doing this. So just decide whether or not you want us to be suspicious of you. And most of the banks decided, no, we don't want that. So we're not going to have that. And so um, 
they stopped banking the poker companies. Poker companies started doing some really wild things like we talked about when uh, Jason Brawl was on here. And it is, yeah, it's deteriorate. And, and eventually then we saw the indictments, the whole industry get basically destroyed on Black Friday. And yeah, that's, that's the other analog besides Operation Choke Point that I think fits here. I was going to say, like, do, well, the, the counter argument here is that all of this money, whether it's good or bad, whatever you want to call it, is going to be driven out of the system entirely and be pushed into places that another place that got us intimately involved with cryptocurrency, like uh, Crypto Capital Corp, Corp, uh, Crypto Capital Corp, which was a Panama-based, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it was a, a Panama-based shadow bank that was helping to bank... Um, Bitfinex, I, like BitMEX, I, like everyone, everybody, everybody mm-hmm. in the who was a, a somebody in cryptocurrency was using these guys, and they they weren't a bank, they weren't even a real payment processor, they were nothing. They were just taking in hundreds of millions of dollars at a time and moving them around to all of these banks throughout the world, and not hoping that these banks weren't performing proper KYC or asking all the right questions and they got away with it for a while and you wonder, right? Like, is this where we're headed again? Is this the same exact place that we're going again? Well, and we should be clear, the thing that was Crypto Capital Corp's undoing was an international coordinated sting into what is an alleged money laundering operation for the Colombian cartels. That was like what actually ended Crypto Capital Corp because that's what all the cryptocurrency exchanges were using. This thing that also seems to have been used by the cartels. Um, in, in kind of a similar way, like... The little bit of reporting we got out of Poland when even Manuel Molina Lee was taken into custody there suggested the allegation was related to laundering from the Colombian cartels. And several pieces of news coverage said through Bitfinex, like, and related specifically to there. And if we go back to the recent Wall Street Journal reporting about Tether falsifying their bank records, the part involving uh, the Hamas whatever, the group that they were supposedly laundering for, sounds almost identical to the described Colombian cartel laundering scheme that involved Crypto Capital Corp, an unnamed payments processor holding funds for Bitfinex and Tether, also having an account on the exchange in which funds were moved through. That was interesting to me, too, and I don't know that I talked about that necessarily when we talked about that before. And so that's another interesting parallel here since we're talking about Crypto Capital Corp. Yeah, I, I think we're... we're um... I don't know what what is the phrase for every for every two steps forward you take one step back. I this feels like two steps forward, two steps back. <laughs> like this is not um I I definitely sense that we're heading in that direction and I think uh you already see it with these weird intermediaries, right? Like we can talk about how Dell Tech is like Dell Tech is a bank. It's just a bank, right? Like I, I think that's it's a fair assessment. Like it is a real bank in the Bahamas that does. It is real... a bank. I don't know about just a bank. It is a bank. <laughs> sure, and I and and it it it's a but it, it's a real bank that does real banking yes. business in the Bahamas, right? Um, and so I think there's like there's all these weird. It, it's it's banking is 
purposely difficult to comprehend, I think. And all of these companies are going to take full advantage of that, um, whether it's using like weird we only know about this because they like Bitfinex lost banking with Wells Fargo and then and they didn't have banking with Wells Fargo to be clear right like they had banking with a small Taiwanese bank that had Wells Fargo as a correspondent bank and Wells Fargo said you either drop this client or we're not going to allow you ha to have access to US dollars anymore and i think that that people it's it's this weird it's weird. I like I, I don't know. I know that I'm getting it's it sounds basic almost the way I'm describing this, but it's like it's purposely obfuscated on just the most basic level. And uh, here we go. Like, here we go again. Yeah. Pay attention to um, which crypto exchanges start using weird payments processor, which exchanges get extraordinarily cagey about being talking about how they're doing deposits and withdrawals. And I would not be surprised if we saw another international exchange start another kind of like Hawala system like Bitfinex was using for a while. I mean, I guess Binance still kind of has that with Binance peer-to-peer, -peer, right? Which is like the only way to get dollars on there. That's basically like Bitfinex's old uh, Hawala-style system where you're withdrawing and depositing to like other Bitfinex customer accounts, which is hilarious. Yeah, sorry. And... For I, I don't know how to describe this in um, proper terms because I'm not sure everyone is familiar with Hawala, which is the term you're using. It's a, it's a, a way to trans. I, I'm just going to go with the Google definition here. Hawala is a way to transmit money without any currency actually moving. Um, it's like pretty common in the Arabian Peninsula, I believe, is like the main place where this occurs. And just to, to give some context here, the reason it occurs this way has to do with like not handing out loans, so to speak, right? Like that is haram. Like you're, you shouldn't be loaning anyone money because loans are bad. Like they're evil. You're not supposed to be just making money by letting money sit. Um, and there's... Essentially, these are like ways around banking laws and loan laws and uh, stuff that is traditionally not looked kindly upon. Yeah. And I mean, largely like what you're talking about there is it's a lot like shadow banking in that regard, right? Where you've got entities set up in two different places. You mark that transactions have occurred between them, but you don't necessarily settle between the two entities very regularly because when the money actually moves is when you get caught, is when you run into the capital controls, is when you run into the money laundering police, is when you run into whatever. And so like that's how um, – it's how this system for – effectively kind of remittances works but it's also how like shadow banking between like china and australia for uh chinese nationals living like in australia works or in vancouver or anything like that it's that same kind of system right right it's it's about um keeping liquidity in the system without <laughs> like without having to deal with banking laws and regulate it's it's yeah it's uh it's a life hack um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I think the, the curious question here is what happens? What happens to banking in the U.S. for cryptocurrency companies and uh, these middlemen, essentially, these exchanges, et cetera, right? I think so far it seems like Coinbase has been fine. Uh, a, a good bonus for them today was that the U.S. government moved 
a bunch of coins onto Coinbase. So it seems like they didn't actually move. I can't. I looked at those transactions. I don't think most of them actually went to Coinbase. Like Glassnode indicated 9,000 or whatever, but that actually went to an address that then sent along a much smaller amount, like 100 grand or something worth of Bitcoin to Coinbase. And most of the rest went out in 98 Bitcoin chunks to a whole bunch of new addresses, along with a couple of other weird amounts to uh, other exchanges and stuff that were involved as part of that. Um, Protos had some reporting on that earlier today anyone wants to check on the details for that. But yeah, most of it actually didn't seem to go to Coinbase unless it was like Coinbase custody and Coinbase was helping them manage the coins. And that's why they were then split into like the uh, equivalent chunks. I guess I'm, I'm just pointing out that it of all the companies in the U.S. that don't seem to have many banking issues at the moment, despite all of this craziness happening, it seems to be Coinbase. And I don't know what to think about that. I'm not like the world's biggest Coinbase fan. Um, so I, I don't know what to think of that other than, you know, they're publicly listed. They have a lot of VC capital. They've been around a long time. Maybe the government is cool, cooler with them than most of these. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Um, but it, it does seem like a lot of these other companies are like super struggling because all of their banking partners are not dealing with cryptocurrency anymore. And I don't know, like, I don't know what the... I don't know what happens next here. I don't know what we're headed for when it comes to this stuff. I think really the most interesting question that it comes down to is do enough new banks step in to fill the gap so that all these companies can have reliable banking or most of these companies can have reliable banking or is it instead we go back to some of the stuff we saw before. Do we go back to there being more stablecoin-only exchanges? Because, like, for a long time, Binance didn't have U.S. dollar banking, right? That's a more recent thing. They used to be Tether-only. Are we going to see more exchanges go back to something like that? Are stablecoins going to be able to maintain banking? Wasn't USDC still at Signature, who's cutting off basically all their digital asset activity? Is Signature going to keep servicing USDC? I'm interested to find out if, like, there's a level of allowing allowing deposits domestically or something like that, right? Like, weird, weird protocols that they're, like... You can't service international clients if you're doing cryptocurrency or something. I, I don't know why that would be the rule. I don't know why they would do that. But well, that presumably seem- because they've got very little confidence in these exchanges, KYC. And so they make they Shocking. like something like that, like where they say the other meta level thing here is we talked about this back in like the ETF episode with James Safer is what the SEC has really wanted from cryptocurrency exchanges is surveillance agreements where the SEC gets to see all the trades and stuff happening at these exchanges. And that's what they've been trying to go for. And so I wonder if that's still the thing that's being like held out as part of the leverage, like maybe some of maybe there'll be a release of some of this regulatory pressure if you guys agree to be surveilled, maybe the banks will be allowed to continue servicing you if you're an SEC surveilled exchange registered and domiciled in the United States. I think it's plausible there's still some kind of goal like that that they're trying to achieve, and the rest of this is kind of leverage. And so they're giving, say, Coinbase, say, Kraken, say, Gemini, an opportunity to seriously consider that option before there's further restrictions. So while I I, I might agree with that 
on a large extent, like to a larger extent. I I do I am curious because like Silvergate was clearly the bank of choice. Why wouldn't you just do everything you can to allow Silvergate to survive and just do that same thing? Go like fine, we get to totally surveil every single thing about the Silvergate Exchange Network, about the exchanges utilizing it, about the individuals using it, like, fine, but, right? Like, why wouldn't they just do that now as opposed to letting this thing fail completely? I I think it's just like separate systems, you know? Like the FDIC came in and did their assessment and thought it was structurally too weak of a bank. And so they went on to their next step, which is we recommend you voluntarily choose to liquidate this and pay back depositors. But I want to be clear here that the SEC also has some sort of leverage because Silvergate is a publicly traded company, right? Like they are reporting to the SEC. So I I would suggest that the SEC has some sway. Yeah, but they're not like the primary regulator here, you know. Uh, so you're saying that the Fed and the FDIC were like, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care about a honeypot. Like, you're done, dude. Like, get your get your shit together, sell it off, and we're done. Well, and, and that is kind of the other wrinkle here, right, is we know there's an ongoing Department of Justice investigation into Silvergate, right? And so I am and, – and Silvergate apparently knew about that investigation. And so, like – The dynamics here are getting really tricky for Silvergate, right? You've lost most of your deposits. You now have this pretty serious duration mismatch on your balance sheet. There's no place you're going to get new deposits from because you've so pivoted your bank so hard towards this one thing. And there's these new risks coming down the pipeline in terms of possible civil or criminal penalties. I think looking at that, the most responsible thing they could have done was probably liquidate and pay back depositors. And so my intuition on what happened here is the FDIC came in assessed it and basically said yeah it's it's time you guys (laughs) and i think i think that pretty much covers it i mean to me we there's not too much we needed to say today just cover this because i do think similar to the collapse of ftx we're having a moment it's a moment that is going to change the path of banking for cryptocurrency companies in the united states and we've heard we've heard that regulators are looking at this stuff we've heard that all of this is coming down the pipeline. We've heard that FTX was like going to spur action from from law enforcement and regulators. And, and, you know, here we are. I think there's been a general malaise. I think there's been a kind of even a, a copacetic attitude where it was like, well, the collapsing has stopped. And now here we go again. Like, uh, OK, maybe it's not over. Maybe the contagion isn't done. Um, and I, we've, we've pressed on that point a few times as well, but I think that's, that's what we wanted to drive home here. And, uh, I think we, we succeeded in that. Yeah. Um, remember when people thought the contagion was contained after Terra, when three AC blew up, they're like, "Woo, that was it. It was just three arrows capital. Isn't that wonderful? Everything else is going to be okay. (laughs) I, I remember in December, January, people saying like, oh, look. Everything is kind of like done. And I, and I'm not we're not I, to be clear, we're not talking about price of Bitcoin or something like we are talking about. Yeah. Who cares about that? We're talking about all of these companies failing and having to fire employees and having like we're talking about a liquidity crunch. We're talking about all of this craziness and it not being done yet, which is I, I, I think that's where we're at. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Let it begin. Um <laughs> 
Enemies, <laughs> enemies at the Silver Gates, as a, a friend said. That, that's a good one. Um, though, <laughs> don't, no one be worried. The cast coin reserves are probably fine. Don't worry about it. We can't tell you where they're at. It would threaten the entire digital asset ecosystem if we did. Also, but we don't have there. access. We don't have access to the data because uh, Sullivan and Cromwell like literally won't let us see the data, which is total bullshit. I I don't even re- I don't remember my password for the Cascoin Reserve, so I can't like I need them to tell me the password, and they won't cooperate. So it's been it's been a struggle, but we're gonna get there, guys. And it's uh, seized and safeguarded. And the most important part <laughs> to emphasize there is safeguarded. 